I've used this phrase before, but it bears repeating. It's a snarky saying about change. It's this, change is good, you go first. Why snarky? Because change isn't always good and rarely feels good in the moment. New job you're excited about and suddenly you wonder if you've made a terrible mistake. What if you fail? Marrying the love of your life, fabulous, but then again, you can no longer manage your life and your time according to your desires or needs alone. Giving birth or adopting a child you long to have, amazing. But there go spontaneous trips, staying out late, and a whole lot of money. Right, change is good, you go first. And those are desired changes. There are others, the job lost, the fractured relationship, the unexpected diagnosis, change that is neither good nor easy. Change, however it comes, is always hard, which is worth remembering as we reflect on this story from Luke's Gospel. A man fettered, except when he smashes his chains, naked and wandering among the tombs, has a life that is no life, entombed already, even if alive. Yet he is afraid Jesus will torment him. Hard to imagine worse torment than his current situation. Now we know it's the voices within him that cry out against Jesus, whether we use scientific psychological language or stick with demonic as an apt descriptor, either will do. Yet Jesus does cast the demons out and into a herd of swine just as they ask, a herd that then rushes headlong into the sea and drowns. Definitely not a good change for the demons or the pigs. The unhappy herdsmen go into town to report on the happenings out in the tombs. They would think Jesus is trouble. He has, in fact, destroyed their livelihood. But what's up with the townspeople and the other people in the countryside? What are they afraid of? Surely seeing such violent torment end, he would think, would bring some joy or excitement. Apparently not. Alfred North Whitehead, a mathematician and philosopher in the first half of the 20th century, once wrote, religion, and I would say faith, but religion is the transition from God the void to God the enemy, to God the companion. God the void, God the enemy, God the companion. The tormented man controlled by those demons knows God is the enemy. God will cast them out, wresting control from them. But for the man with the demons gone, companionship with God finally becomes possible. I love the image of he and Jesus sitting together like old friends. But I think Whitehead helps us understand why the other people ask Jesus to leave. They think if Jesus can do what he did 
out there in the tombs. God only knows what havoc he might wreak in our lives. God the void is where they are, and they are fine with that. They're content with their heaped high tables. Looking around, they know if Jesus addresses them, he will demand changes and disrupt their lives. That sounds like an enemy to them. Sure, the demoniac is fine now and good for him, but they think their lives are already fine. Why mess with a good thing? So what of us? Most of us have our demons, and most of us have them pretty well managed. But are there places, and I imagine there are for us all, are there places, parts of our lives that we have walled off from God? Places we hope, hopelessly as it happens, that Jesus doesn't know about. Because if we let God in, we would have to change, give up something, we don't want to give up. Take on something. We prefer to let lie. God can absolutely feel like the enemy. The question is, can we, will we, risk letting him in? Because God, when he enters our lives, the whole of our lives, may seem and even be the enemy of some of what we hold dear, may challenge our trust, in our own high-heaped tables? Can we instead lay claim to the vision of this formerly tormented man clothed in his right mind, sitting and talking companionably with Jesus? For what Jesus most desires, most desires, is companionship with us. Change is good, just not easy.